Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. This week's message is the story of Jonathan and David from 1 Samuel chapter 20. We've been going through a powerful series this summer. The series of what it means to pursue God's heart, specifically looking at the life of King David. I'm really excited about our passage today because we've looked at what does it mean to pursue God's heart But today we're going to look at what does it mean to pursue the heart of people? What does it mean to join in the anointing of people? So before we do that, I just want to give us a time to center our hearts before the Lord and prepare. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have gifted each one of us with a specific anointing. God, I ask today that we would be more compelled by who you are so that we can move towards people as well. We offer you this time. Open our ears and our hearts to your word, God. We are your servants and we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am a Sioux County girl. I have lit, grew up in Sioux County. I have been in, a, in and out of Sioux County for several years. And every time I come back, I seem to appreciate it all the more. It's kind of like a magnet. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but Sioux County is a magnet. It just sucks you right back in. But the things I love about Sioux County um, goes beyond almond patties and snicker salad and even the smell of manure. I mean, that truly is home, right? But you know what I have found to be Sioux County's most faithful friend? Now stick with me. Wind. Now, we all have different reactions when we hear that, probably because we talk about wind a lot. Maybe you're tired of it. But also because we all probably have negative experiences with 40-mile-an-hour winds. I know for me, I have a story trying to carry Taco Bell to my car with 40-mile-an-hour winds that I'll leave to your imagination. (laughs) The thing about wind is that it can be so many different things, right? Wind can be destructive. It's very naturally destructive. At a high enough speed, wind can uproot trees, destroy mobile homes, and even rip rip off rooftops of structures. But wind is also naturally very resistant. I don't know about you, but if you're going to run a marathon, I don't think you're going to pray for wind. It can be very naturally resistant. But however, used strategically, wind can also be incredibly supportive. It can be a great partner. It's the largest source of renewable power in the United States. It is a natural source of energy, and it also can provide a great ease in certain activities like windsurfing, kites, and paragliding. But how is it that the same element can have two very different influences? 
How can wind provide both a resistance and also a partnership? Wind can be both destructive and helpful. Water, another element, can be both nourishing and damaging. Fire can be disastrous and refining. Same element, two influences. See, today we're going to witness two influences in David's life. Saul, who resisted David, who was opposed to David. And Jonathan, who partnered with David and was with David. One claimed David as an enemy, and the other claimed David as a friend. One denied his life to David, but the other gave his life to David. Yet both of them share the same blood, the same DNA, even the same entitlement to the same throne, the same circumstance. Yet how can their reactions to David be so different? It's a matter of a heart. It's a matter of their hearts. See, last week, Carly took us through 1 Samuel 19, and we left this really intense scene where David is fleeing. This is the second time of four different episodes that we see David flee Saul. And all four of them, he's not only seeking refuge in God, but he's seeking refuge in community. David had to leave this scene of deep humiliation, the anointed one, bear crawling through a window. That doesn't seem quite right. We witness a deep connection with the withness from Saul's own children, and yet Saul opposed him, was trying to murder him. You see, this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel 20. Jonathan, the crown prince, Saul's son, is a central piece to this story. And while we have witnessed Yahweh's commitment to David this entire series, we are now going to see the vitality of community, the commitment of a friend, the power of relationship. And the question is going to be, how do we partner in somebody's anointing instead of resist somebody in their anointing? Today, we're going to see in 1 Samuel 20 that to partner in one's anointing, it, it involves one's heart, it involves one's perspective, and it involves one's life. We're going to take a look at those three elements of Jonathan and how to partner in the anointing of others. So we're going to take a look at the heart this morning. Have you ever been a part of something that felt so unnatural? Okay, well, for me, it was uh, anytime a friend invites me to Zumba. But every time I say yes, and I get so uncomfortable because my body is not meant to do the movements that Zumba requires of you. There are certain movements and things that are, feel so unnatural for me. Send me to the, the corner with the chicken dance. Don't make me do the Zumba dance over here. It just feels incredibly unnatural for my muscles. Well, you see, in community involves heart. Partnership is not a natural muscle for the heart. 
But what is a natural muscle for the heart is jealousy. This is a very natural movement that can happen for the heart. You see, in verse 1, it says that David is fleeing from Noahith at Ramah, and he went to Jonathan and he asked, What is it have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is now trying to kill me? Let's take a look at Saul's heart. This might get a little ugly. You see, Saul had denied David his heart. Well, when we take a look into his heart, we see that he had success way before he was ready. Saul became a star. He became this celebrity before he was fit to be king. And his security and identity was found in the approval and the flattery of others. The success became his stronghold. It became what defined him. His success gave him a position and an influence. But David threatened that success. David displayed great military skills in the face of the Philistines. His own family showed great affection towards David. I wonder what that must have felt like. And David was on the forefront of national attention. And because Saul trusted in his success over the Lord, an anxious jealousy, a very natural movement of the heart happened towards David. You see, jealousy is an apprehension of losing a position. An apprehension of losing a position. And because Saul was so busy guarding his own position, he denied David his heart. But isn't this the natural way? The normal tendency of the human heart? Don't we all kind of have a King Saul in us? Protecting our own individual success, protecting our own standing in this world? Who do we feel like might be threatening that? Perhaps like Saul, we've been made less by being in someone's shadow. I think this morning, if we check our hearts to see what we might be protecting. I think the deadliest division typically happens with those in closest proximity to us. I think it can happen through jealousy, and it can happen through being wounded. See, David had wounds, not physical wounds from the spear yet, but I believe emotional wounds of what it feels like to have someone so opposed to you, someone opposed to your own success. Yet David could have fired back. Instead, he fled this dangerous situation to find refuge. You see, opposition was making David fit for the anointing. David would not just be handed the kingdom this time. Through opposition, David was being made fit for the kingdom, being made fit for the throne. So Saul shows this, this natural movement of this heart, this natural tendency of jealousy. Well, what's this unnatural way? What are the unnatural muscles of the heart? Well, Jonathan shows that to us. Where Saul denied his heart, Jonathan committed his heart. Jonathan replies to David in verse 2. He says this, Never. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? 
I think we can kind of see maybe Jonathan's in a state of denial. This isn't just his king. This is his father. David seeks to wake Jonathan up in verse 3. He says, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, listen to this, there is only a step between me and death. It's just a step between me and death. Take note of the language that Jonathan says. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want from me, I will do for you. Whatever you want from me, I will do for you. Why would Jonathan proclaim this over David in this risky, threatening situation? Not only that, but Jonathan also had every reason to be jealous of David. The throne was supposed to be Jonathan's. That was his future. Jonathan also was a great, successful warrior. This is a surprising and unnatural movement of the heart. Not only that, but he was a great deal of risk of his father killing him. And he still committed his heart to David. Why was his heart prepared for such a love? Well, Jonathan received his position from God, not his success. Jonathan trusted his position to be from Yahweh, not from his own success or the flattery of others. When your position is in Yahweh, there is no need to protect it. No one can threaten it. It's fixed. Back in chapter 18, Jonathan did this deep committing act to David. He said, it says this, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This physical act of giving David his throne, he was giving David his whole future, his success. Jonathan trusted Yahweh with his position in, in his story. This is a very dramatic event. He emptied himself for David so that he could receive the heart of Yahweh. I love these pictures that scripture gives us. It says that Jonathan and David, their souls were knit together. Another translation says that they were immediately bounded together, life to life. And this is the important one. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So David's success was now Jonathan's success. Are we willing to lose our self-identified position so that we might gain our position in the kingdom of God? Where Saul denied his heart, Jonathan committed his heart. The second is a matter of perspective. We're going to take a really brief glance into Saul's perspective. Or do we have any fans of reality TV in here? Are you all allowed? No one's raising their hand. Maybe no one wants to admit it. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of reality TV that involves drama, okay? And why this is so funny is reality TV is kind of a funny name for reality TV. And this is why I say that. 
The job of reality TV producers when there's drama involved is to manipulate certain words and scenes and music to change a reality. So what the producers want to do is they want to evoke emotion in the viewers. They want to villainize somebody that is actually quite innocent. They can manipulate any situation to take reality and create a different reality. You see, the one who opposes God works very similarly. And we have to see that it wasn't just Saul opposing David. There was the one who opposes God at work here. The enemy is crafty with deception. He's crafty with creating a new reality so that we don't see clearly. We don't see with divine perspective. We read last week that God permitted an evil spirit on Saul, and Saul was vulnerable to the one who opposes God. The enemy gave him a false narrative over David. Saul wasn't one with the perspective of God. And he gained a distorted perspective that villainized David. That David was now the threat. David's now the enemy. And this is actually very natural for the human heart. Last week, Carly asked the question, what was the story David telling himself? And this week, we need to ask, well, what's the story that Saul was telling him? What was the resistance making him question his own anointing? I know if somebody was trying to kill me, I think it would make me question. Or maybe he was wondering if it was worth it. Is this even worth it? Could he even future or envision a future anymore? Haven't we all written somebody off? What was our perspective of that person? Was it God writing them off? Have you villainized someone in your life that perhaps you believe God also villainized? That's not the heart of God. Does he maybe have plans for that person's anointing? You see, where Saul denied perspective, Jonathan committed his perspective. Let's take a look at it. Jonathan had this divine perspective of David Jonathan saw that David had God's spirit. He saw him clearly because his soul was knit to both God and David. I'm going to describe the scene going on in verses 5 through 9 here. You see, Jonathan and David decided to devise a plan. They're going to test Saul. And the way that they're going to do this is David is going to be absent at the new moon feast. And they know that Saul is either going to lose his temper or Saul is going to be okay with the fact that David's not there. If Saul loses his temper, then Jonathan will be convinced, okay, my father's trying to kill my friend. But if Saul's okay with it, then we know that David is safe. So this is kind of their plan, their litmus test to see where is Saul's heart really at. And I think, really, David is trying to truly show Jonathan just the gravity of the situation. That he can't envision his future right now because somebody's trying to kill him. And I love what David says in verse 10. He goes, well, who's going to answer me? Can I trust you? Who will answer me if your father answers you harshly? 
And this is the most monumental part of the passage. Jonathan grabs David and he says, come, let's go into the field. Come, let's get out of your current circumstance. We're not seeing clearly. Jonathan pulls David aside and he gives him a divine perspective Where Saul sets David back, Jonathan sets David forward. Suddenly Saul's irrelevant. David's murderer is irrelevant to the scene because Jonathan points David back to a future where he will be king. Jonathan points David to a future that matches his anointing. I love how this commentator says it. Jonathan gives David a Yahwistic reading of his future. He pulls him back into God's reality. Not a reality stated by a man, and not a reality stated by the one who opposes God, but a reality that matches the anointing that was fit for David. He does three things here. The first is that he proclaims that Yahweh is with him. In verse 13, he says, But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. And he says this, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. A future where God is with him. Then he proclaims that Yahweh will in fact avenge his enemies. He will in fact avenge Saul. In verse 16, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And last, he affirms that they will be bound together in friendship forever. I will not leave you. You have my life. You have my heart. Jonathan and David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved David as he loved himself. You see, an open heart and a divine perspective isn't the natural way of the heart. It takes great spiritual muscles to be able to see people as God sees them. But Jonathan chose to see David with God's spirit, with God's anointing. And when, David, and when Saul was trying to set him back against his anointing, Jonathan took him away and he set him forward and he showed him a future where God was with him and Jonathan was with him and a future that matched his anointing. The power of community, the power of partnership. The last thing we're going to see in this passage is that Jonathan committed his life to David, his whole life. I recently saw an interview with kids. This took place a few years ago, and I loved their reactions. I, I love listening to kids' answers to things. It's one of my favorite things ever. I think it teaches us a lot about what it means to be human. Uh, But what they were asking these kids is, what do you think love is? What do you think love is? And I, my husband and I asked our four-year-old and two-year-old the same thing the other day. He's like, what's love? And then I looked at Sam and I said, I'm not even sure if I would know how to answer that. What, What would you say? And here's a few of the answers that these kids gave. I like this one. It feels like heaven. Sometimes. 
I like this one too. It says, love is gross. <laughs> Another kid said, love is playing Legos. That's how he sees it. But this one really, really grabbed my attention and I inclined my ear to it. One little girl said, I'm not really sure if I'm into that love stuff anymore. She's like, I think I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not really sure if I'm into that love stuff anymore. And while we giggle at that, I, I feel like this is a little bit where our world is at. Are we really not into the love stuff anymore? The kind of love as God is and how God sees it? If we look at the love of God, are we going to be really into that kind of love and what it might cost us? You see, all throughout this scripture today, the word loving kindness has been used. Another word for loving kindness is hesed love. David describes a hesed love from God over and over again in the Psalms, especially here in 23 verse 6. He says, surely goodness and hesed love will follow me all of the days of my life. What does that mean? Well, hesed love is two things. Hesed love is first a love wrapped in kindness and mercy. It's a deep compassion. It's a love that performs. It's a love that moves in action. It gets its hands dirty. It's a love that helps and extends to people. The second kind of love is permanence. It's a committed love. It's the type of love when Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It doesn't flee based on circumstances or emotions or change. It just is and always will be. A hesed love is compassionate, but it's also committed. In summary, God is just deeply committed to humans. That's the business of God. Out of a hesed love. And the Old Testament here sees that hesed love also happens between humans. Hesed love is central to Jonathan and David's friendship. Over and over again, we witnessed this word. They had a hesed help, a willingness to get your hands dirty and extend towards one another. And they also had a commitment towards each other, representing the love of God, Yahweh. Let's see how Jonathan commits his life to David in hesed love. You see, we have this last very emotional scene in this scripture it's time to t test Saul. And Jonathan goes, remember, this is his dad. This is what he says. Um, this is what it says in Scripture in verses 24 through 27. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, well, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? At this point, Saul can't even say David's name. Jonathan, facing his own father, says, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. That is why he has not come to the king's table. 
Here we see Saul's unchecked heart issues respond in electrifying anger and violence, for he sees now Jonathan's committed to David. They are knit together, and I'm wondering, this is the most profound sense of rejection that Saul must have felt. Yahweh chose David, the people chose David, and now his own son. Can you imagine? Saul's witnessing the last thread of his success leave him. The last strand of his defense structure. His future left to go support David's future. And this is what one commentator says, and I think it's so true. The hurt was just closer than the reality of God. Saul couldn't see clearly. The hurt was just closer than he could see God. Isn't that true sometimes? I think that's where anger starts. Is when the hurt is just closer than what we see God. Saul's anger in verse 30 flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? So Jonathan has a final choice here. His foam father is giving him one final choice to choose himself over God. Here it is. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. One more opportunity for Jonathan to choose his own individual success. And he says this, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled a spear at his own son, and then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. This is a really intense story, one where we see Jonathan commit his life to David to the point of death. I think the final question we need to ask ourselves is, do we want to bring resistance to the anointing of people, or do we want to partner with the anointing of people? And how do we do this? Well, there's nothing super hero-esque about Jonathan. It's, the story isn't actually about Jonathan. What makes Jonathan important is that he emptied his heart, he emptied his perspective, he emptied his life to gain God's heart, to gain God's perspective, and to gain God's abundant life so that he could give it to the people around him. That's the church. To empty our hearts and to empty our perspective and empty our life to gain God, to give God to people. Perhaps like Jonathan, we start with those around us. See, Jonathan lost, lost some things. He lost his pride, his individual success, and his comfortability so that he could gain a deep and profound community with both God and David. We might have to move towards people. We might have to do the unnatural movements of the heart, but there is so much to gain. You see, Jonathan sent David forward with a secured future. He said, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Jonathan chose David like Jesus chose us. 
his foreshadowing, a promise to us that we see in John when Jesus says to us, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I give you a future that matches your anointing. I give you a future of eternal life with me. Jesus, the one who is Hesed, love, who denied and emptied himself to the point of death so that we could receive an eternal position with him. We don't have to protect it or create it. We walk in it. In Jesus, our anointing is secure. In Jesus, we get to be a part of his body. So my challenge to us, church, is this week that we start to look into our hearts and our perspective and we look into our lives and see where is it, what are we clinging to that we can empty to gain more of God's heart and God's perspective and God's life so we can share it with the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, for the opportunity to be a part of your work. God, we ask that in this week that we would be so compelled by who you are that we would move towards people. God, I ask that we would trust our position in the kingdom of God, that we would find such a security with you that we don't have to claim it or protect it, but that we could walk in it, Lord. God, I pray that as we empty ourselves, that we would gain more of you so that you may know, be known to the world around us. Father, we thank you for the cross. God, that you were obedient to the point of death on our behalf so that we can walk in freedom as the body of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.